money, it certainly does make the world go round. And the reason it's able to do so is that we trust these little pieces of paper. That's all it is, just a piece of paper. But around the globe, there is no piece of paper that inspires more confidence. Take this one, for example. We typically call it a $20 bill. But officially, it is a Federal Reserve note. And every Federal Reserve note that you spend or receive is part of a complex organization known as the Federal Reserve System. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency, emerging markets, and future tech in relatively plain English. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. Uh, you can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always find it later. So this episode we're going to be covering a, a bunch of news and uh, there's been some really interesting developments that have happened this week in many of the emergent tech areas. So we're going to spend a fair bit of time going through those and discussing some of the most interesting parts. And in our main feature, we're going to do an update on a number of decentralized applications which are built on public blockchains. So a few different projects we're checking in on should be really exciting. Yeah, and we're also going to cover the browser in our privacy and security segment. So what have you been up to recently? I've actually just recently returned from Bali. I went for a week's holiday in wow. Bali. I was over there for a wedding. Uh and spent a week over there in it was amazing. Wow. It was incredible. Lot to do. We we tried to stay out of the tourist areas as much as possible uh-huh. and experience things properly. Um, so we climbed a volcano. Wow. Uh, went traveling around an island on scooters all day nice. and found like a little hidden cove that we had to essentially scale a cliff to get down to. And wow. uh, just a number of other cool little things. It's just wow. a really nice place. Everyone's really friendly. And we did a lot on the holiday, but it was a, it was a really good break. Wow. So that was, that was great. Also just ran a, a webinar today on blockchain and smart contracts. Nice, nice, nice. Um, and that's in conjunction with the uh, law firm that I'm moving to called Teddington Legal. Um, so I'm finishing up at my current job and I've, I'm now moving to more of a remote practice uh, as nice. a lawyer. Which that sounds be, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the webinar was from here in my room and I can now practice as a lawyer from here in my room as well wow. at home. So uh, We are living in the future. We though. are really living in the future. Sheesh. What have you been up to? Hey, I've been traveling Queensland. I've had some relatives visit from the UK. So it rained every single day. Um, so I told them to pretend that it was really beautiful and sunny most of the time, but <laughs> they joined on the, they came on the, like the only days of the year so far where it's rained. And it rained for a long time. Oh, didn't just it? heavy, thick rain. We went to all these lookouts and then you couldn't see more than 20 meters. <laughs> so kind of, kind of disappointing, but mm. still cool. Um, and yeah, I also did my tax return. Yeah. So declaring my crypto gains mm. was horrific. It looked horrific. When you sent me the photo, it really looked horrific. Oh, horrific. So my recommendation, if you're a listener, is spend crypto, at least in Australia, if you spend your cryptocurrency, then it's not a taxable event. Or don't exchange crypto for other crypto because that's a taxable event Mm. uh, under capital gains. So I had to declare a bunch of exchange transactions. The easiest thing is just don't even buy crypto. Yep. 
bit of disclosure, this is not an investment or any other type of advice. Yeah, new cryptocurrencies seem to be popping up every day and it's hard to know which ones are legitimate and which aren't. We're not saying you should buy anything at all on this program. Full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different cryptocurrencies and other things, some of which we talk about on this show. But if we talk about a project, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose. And most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here or new to crypto, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. It'll give you some of the grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. Mate, what has been going on in the news this week, the last couple of weeks? The first thing that we'll cover this week is that $194 million was moved using Bitcoin with a 10 cent fee which really shows the true potential of crypto. Wow. So, yeah, on October the 16th, the Bitcoin user moved 29,999 Bitcoin uh, worth $194 uh, with a 10-cent fee, which would have cost tens of thousands of dollars if they'd done that with a bank. Yeah, it just... because. any transaction on the ledger is just just that, another transaction on the ledger. It doesn't matter how much you're transferring. All that you need to pay is for the small amount of mining time it takes for your one little transaction to be written to the chain. Mm, mm. And that's all they paid. So it really shows that, yeah, we <clears throat> this system is a fluid way to exchange huge sums of money without financial institutions and without paying all their unnecessary fees. Another huge piece of news, Fidelity, um, who we talked about last episode, they have uh, something like between two and seven trillion dollars under management, some massive amount of money. They're launching a crypto trading platform. So yeah, that's going to be a trading and storage platform um, for enterprise clients. So it's really the start of bringing on you know big institutional investors into cryptocurrencies, um, particularly Bitcoin um, uh, and also like secondarily Ethereum, EOS, all these other ones. Mm. But yeah, what do you? What's your take on the move? Yeah, I, th- I think it is brilliant. Fidelity is huge in uh, in the asset management area. Mm. And uh, I think it's a huge movement. It's just another move to show that we're moving out of the uh, cowboy stage into the stage where enterprise and the markets, the big markets are really starting to take this stuff seriously. Mm. And they're starting to realize mm. that there's a lot of value tied up in this. It, I don't think it'll be too long before you start seeing people talking about integrating uh, estate planning elements to this wow. stuff and you know cu- full-on custodial functionality um that's like what you see with a lot of these massive term deposits wow. and um big in- banking instruments that you know high net worth individuals use wow um so this is just another step towards that which is yeah really really exciting so what are they saying they're building exactly uh, from the piece it, it's um a custody service for yeah bitcoin ethereum and other yet to be named cryptocurrencies. So they'll hold it as part of their security in cold storage, along with multi-level physical and cyber controls, uh, according to their press release. Now, through the platform, all 27 million customers and 23,000 businesses of Fidelity will be provided with sufficient infrastructure, they say, and services to invest in the cryptocurrency market. Mm. So this is... Big. It's a big onboarding move. In connection with that, Mark Novogratz, who's the billionaire investor and head of Galaxy Digital, mm. 
um, has said that he will be his crypto fund will be Fidelity's first custodian client, which is yeah, really exciting stuff. He's been shouting about cryptocurrency for a long time. Mm. Galaxy Digital invested in a bunch of these huge projects that we've big heard investor about. in EOS. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, really, really interesting news. One to watch. Um, if anyone of our listeners has assets in Fidelity or has a Fidelity account, um, do let us know how this goes. We'd love to hear an update from you. Mm. Sounds really cool. Send us your password too. <laughs> so next bit of news, uh, sidechains are bringing ICOs to Bitcoin and that might change crypto funding. By the end of the year, uh, an ICO will be launched on Bitcoin. Um, you heard that correctly, on Bitcoin. So... While Ethereum has been the choice of uh, entrepreneurs who are running ICOs for a long time, Bitcoin, um, thanks to a new sidechain created by RSK, will now have the ability to host the new fundraising mechanism as well. And in fact, the original concept of an ICO was first started on Bitcoin uh, back in 2013. Um, But the functionality was quite limited compared to what Ethereum is today. And I think that was part of the reason why people wanted to build Ethereum in the first place because the system just was not up to scratch. Um, But yeah, J.R. Willett raised a total of half a million dollars for the token MasterCoin, which was later renamed Omni on the Bitcoin network. Yeah, look at that. So there you go. The original Dan Dan, the ICO man, (laughs) J.R. Willett. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, but yeah, and this um, smart contract sidechain for Bitcoin that RSK has developed has actually been in development since early early 2016. Um, so they're written in the same dominant language as Ethereum, so Solidity, but it's fueled by a Bitcoin-pegged cryptocurrency dubbed a smart Bitcoin or SBTC. This just gets more and more complicated yeah <laughs> which is just what tech people like yeah it, it's, it'll be interesting to watch it'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. if they can actually pull it off because mm. if they can pull it off and if it works well mm. and doesn't clog the network up completely like we saw with ethereum or it doesn't yeah. get compromised or there aren't other issues then it could potentially change the game completely because wow. most of the value still is tied up in bitcoin and a lot of the attractiveness of other networks is that they're not Bitcoin. They have more functionality than Bitcoin. And there has been a, a, a sector of the community that has always said, well, why don't we just build all of this on Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people's answer to that has been, well, it can't be done or it's too hard or we want to have our own network or we want to make a bunch of ICO money, when moon, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they can do it, mm-hmm. um, then the question will need to be asked, well, why do we need these other networks anyway. yeah yeah uh, especially with side chains because if it's working on side chains and it's harnessing lightning and a number of those other new technologies that are being implemented at the protocol layer um it may not slow the network down at all mm. um and there's still a lot of people that are developing for bitcoin so just something we'll have to mm. wait and see i guess mm. Um, the security firm in the UK, G4S, has launched a crypto custody service. Um, so that's aimed at protecting investors' holdings of digital assets. So in the same way as sort of, you know, Fidelity are doing this custody service, it's something that's happening in the UK as well. So it's a big security company, G4S. Um, yeah, they're offering high security offline storage to help protect assets from criminals and hackers. Now, you know, some people say the best thing to do is hold on to it yourself, but, you know, for large amounts... It's worth considering. Mm, yeah. Considering. Yeah. And I think we mentioned it earlier, you know, if they're insured, they're insured for that amount and all you're going to be doing is holding it, 
it may make sense. It may fit your risk profile more to have someone else be the custodian. Mm. Um, and there are people that do that already with Swiss bunkers and several mm. other things. They trust mm. people to to keep their huge amounts of Bitcoin safe in cold storage in yeah. those places as well. So, mm. yeah, like it just depends on – it really just depends on what you want. Um, I think it's a good move. And I think, look, for a lot of people – it may be that they start with something like that. They start with a custodian service because they're not real familiar with the wallet system. And look, mm. I still even get nervous. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it may be something that's like a gradual process where they do this first and then maybe they might look into a cold storage wallet for themselves and educate themselves about how to store it properly, et cetera, et cetera. But no, it's, it's, it's exactly what happened with Golden Banks. And I think we're naive to think that that, that system's ever going to go away completely. So next bit of news, uh, Europe's largest port is going to track shipping containers with Samsung's blockchain tech. The port of Rotterdam, which is Europe's busiest seaport, um, partnered with Dutch bank ABN AMRO and the IT division of the tech giant Samsung. They're launching a blockchain pilot program to track shipping containers. Um, and yeah, really kind of cool stuff. Yeah, so the foundation of the blockchain pilot will be the Next Ledger platform, which was released by Samsung on, in 2017. The platform is linked to R3 Quarter, so the R3 Quarter blockchain, um, and it's you, that's already being used by ABN AMRO. So they're actually looking at having a real genuine type of interoperability between the different blockchains, mm-hmm. and that's achieved by an overarching notary that connects entirely separate blockchains in Korea and the Netherlands, Wow! which will theoretically allow everyone involved in the pilot program to access pertinent information related to the tracking of shipping containers. And the interesting to note about this thing too is that Rotterdam has been trialling a system like this for the last couple of years. Wow. Um, and I talk about it quite a lot in my talks, that what they've been doing. Um, yeah. I think they call, it's called Port Ledger or something. I can't right, exactly right. – or Ship Ledger or something. But they've, they've got a lot of data to draw upon for this already. Wow. So it looks like wow. Samsung said – hey, you guys are doing this already. Can we jump on? Let's build a notary that'll talk between the two mm, chains mm, mm. and let's build a bigger system. That's and I guess really the useful. Yeah, I guess the eventual aim is to maybe outcompete IBM and Maersk who oh, are also trying to right, develop right, right. something of their own as well. Because the ports of Rotterdam have a lot of valuable data. Yeah. It's interesting that um, according to yeah, a press release, the tracking of shipping containers from China to Rotterdam usually involves you know 28 different parties and all of the data is manually documented on paper which means mistakes and inefficiencies but this pilot program which is developed by Block Lab which is you know a subsidiary of the poor Rotterdam is you know hoping to create that platform that operates from the perspective of shippers so trying to make things more transparent more cost effective which is really interesting. Yeah, look, it's it's just such positive language from them because they're mm. really saying, let's build a level playing field where everyone feels like they're no one's no one's having to use someone else's software. Mm-hmm. It's going to belong to everyone, be managed by everyone, and we can all share our data mm. safely, securely on the same platform. Um, and so they've said that the experiment is slated to begin in January of next year and it'll initially focus on tracking shipping containers coming from an undisclosed factory in Asia to an unnamed location in the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but once that pilot is completed, um, after all the cloak and dagger stuff, interested parties will be allowed to join the cooperative network and the results of the pilot will be released in February. That's so, exciting. Yeah, so we'll put a pin in it and mm. um, hopefully January or February we start to hear 
a little bit more about how it's mm. going because they're doing this. Walmart have been doing a similar thing with their suppliers. I think we covered it a few weeks ago. They gave their suppliers an ultimatum saying mm. after this massive food security scare, we need to get everyone on this by this time next year. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much more we've got to see for people to – because uh, I still see a lot of people saying, oh, blockchain's no good for this kind of stuff. But the more and more money that pours into this and the more and more big companies that adopt this stuff and if the pilots are successful, I think there's going to be a number of people that may need to eat their words a little bit because uh, <laughs> it seems like these big companies are very bullish on building mm. genuine um, enterprise or uh, consortium level blockchain mm. solutions. Google, they're introducing this cult grilling feature that basically leverages that Google Assistant. And essentially what would happen is it transcribes the caller's request in real time. From what I gather, it's sort of they sort of answer the phone for you. Google answers the phone for you if it's like an unknown number. And it goes, what do you want to talk to us about? And the person then says what they want to talk about google transcribes that shows you and then you can decide to pick up the call or not and in which case you go wow. straight to the call it's based on that duplex technology where a couple of episodes we played a clip of it mm. of google making a phone call to make a reservation but this is not just making calls this is answering calls mm. that's wild that's uh, that sounds like exactly what i want I get private numbers calling me all the time. I get numbers I don't know calling me all the time, not leaving messages. Mm. Um, it's really annoying. And something like this would actually really help me mm. if I was willing to give Google access to yeah. all my calls, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, yeah, I reckon it'd be really, really helpful because you can essentially screen calls, mm. see if it's a telemarketer or see if it's someone just trying to waste your time. And it's, it's, it's an especially big problem for our US audiences because while in the UK and Australia we've got these sort of do not call lists mm. or do not text or call lists, those sorts of things, yep. in the US like that, those don't really seem to work even though there are some laws in place. Nearly half of all cell phone calls next year will be from scammers. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because they, they have those like political drives where it's like yeah. robocalls and stuff, don't they? Yeah. And, yep. Man, not for me. So Google has open sourced ActiveQA. It's an AI agent that learns to ask good questions. So yeah, it's a research project that investigates the use of reinforcement learning. So that's aimed at training AI agents for question answering. So I mean, Google are pretty good at seeing what pe sort of questions people ask, but I guess they're sort of learning from that. Um, and they're learning to reformulate questions to get the best possible answers, mm. which is kind of interesting. Mm, because that's been the biggest problem with a lot of AI systems up until now, hasn't it? That they kind of get it, mm. that it's mm. always only ever, you can always tell that it's an AI or a, a program. They never really hold a proper conversation. And so it's, a, it's an interesting sign that they've said, well, the best approach to doing this is probably to open source it and let everyone work on it. Yeah. And that's what TensorFlow kind of does, isn't it? TensorFlow is their machine learning. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's saying it's, yeah, it's part of a package for TensorFlow. Okay. So, yeah, so if you're building neural networks and, and machine learning things, yeah. which you can tell I don't understand, um, <laughs> yeah, really cool. Mm. 
So next bit of news, and this is something close to our heart, DuckDuckGo traffic is up 50% from last year and has hit a new record of 30 million daily searches. Sheesh. So DuckDuckGo, for those that don't know, is a Google alternative that's very focused on privacy. Mm. And they started a fair few years ago, but they've been gradually making their search algorithm more and more effective. Mm. Um, And they... They kind of try and guarantee that when you search with them, it'll be a private search. They're not selling any ad space. They're not selling your data. Um, it's a search engine for the open web, wow. essentially. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's a 50% increase from last year's daily direct record, which was 20 million searches. Um, really, really cool. I've been using DuckDuckGo for a fair while now, and I went and I used StartPage for a while too, yeah. um, which is kind of like a – a layer for Google where you can mm. still search on Google, but you don't get any of the personalization yeah, yeah. that Google has. Um, but just in the last probably two weeks, I've actually gone back to DuckDuckGo because right. I'm actually finding now that uh, it's as good or pretty much as good for me as Google in right, searching. Right, right. They're really trying to make a, a, a fully featured search engine that doesn't track you, which is really nice. So next bit of news, Tesla. Um, we talked about Elon Musk a couple of episodes ago and, and featured what he does quite heavily. Um, but they're bidding on a $145 million piece of land for a much-needed Gigafactory 3 in China. Earlier this summer, Tesla announced a deal with the Shanghai government to build a wholly-owned local factory. Bloomberg's now reporting that they're closing in on a piece of land. Um, and yeah, Tesla, yeah, when they first announced it, Tesla said it expects construction to be again in the near future, and it would take roughly two years until they can start producing vehicles, uh, and then another two to three years before it's fully ramped up to 500,000 vehicles a year. Pretty exciting mm, step. They're making a big push for China, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, China has a huge problem with smog. They've got a huge problem with pollution. More and more, it seems like the government over there is pushing for clean energy. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a number of government grants that will follow mm. this as well, uh, that will probably be announced when things really start kicking off. Tesla are very well positioned if things stay the same mm. with the way you know, oil is going and the energy market as a whole is going to really take advantage of this mm. because they are the industry leader in electric vehicles. There's no doubt about that mm, at all. Mm, mm. So yeah. it's exciting. Yeah, 100%. And leading on from that, uh, Elon Musk also announced that the rapid transit test tunnel under LA will be open to the public by December 10th of this year. Mm. So people would be whisked through the tunnels at up to 150 miles an hour. Um, so they'd be traveling on like an electric powered platform called a skate. The device either comprises a vehicle itself carrying between eight and 16 passengers, or it could carry a car that's been driven onto it. So you could park your car on an elevator. The elevator would sort of go down into the tunnel system. And then, yeah, when it's completed, there's going to be a bunch of different tunnels layered and moving in a bunch of different directions with shorter segments serving as off-ramps. And um, yeah, these shafts of the elevators would run straight up to street-side locations. So, you know, whether that's into a, a garage or a, the basement of, of an office building. Mm. And so it, it's the, the potential for, if you've ever been to LA, you know, there's gridlock all the time, especially on their big roads, right. the highways. It's shocking. So the potential for what it could do to the transport system is immense. Wow. Because like Elon says, there's a huge amount of space underneath. Mm. Very limited space on top, huge amount of space underneath. Mm. So building tunnels makes sense. Mm. The, the elevators won't be ready for December 10th. So right. they're, they're not right, ready right. yet. It's just going to be, as a member of the public, you're going to be able to go down there, 
and you're going to be able to go into one of these vehicles that they've got pre-built right. on one of these skates right, right, and you're going right. to be able to actually transit through mm. the system. So it's exciting. Mm. They're, they're getting to proof of concept stage now mm. where people are actually going to be able to go down and, and see what it does. Wow. And if the public likes it and if the metropolitan government are on board, uh, you could see a lot more tunnels springing up in mm. LA and probably elsewhere mm. quite soon. They're just doing it. They're yeah. just getting on with it, digging holes. And it could, be a, it could be a huge solution for all the issues we have in many of our cities. Mm. If, if, if they can build tunnels quickly and cheaply and if their skates, I, I, can, I imagine their system actually won't need that much infrastructure to, you won't need all this, if it's on these skates, you won't need all the different safety mm-hmm. features you need in a lot of other tunnels mm-hmm. because it'll all be automated. Wow. Um, so hopefully they can begin popping these things up everywhere if they mm-hmm. work. I'd love mm-hmm. to have them here in Brisbane, oh, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I would pay for that. Oh. <laughs> Definitely. Man, this is a crazy little piece that you came across. What was that all about? Yeah, so Russian scientists have actually discovered bacteria that neutralizes nuclear waste. So the unique bacteria which has been discovered in a nuclear waste storage in Siberia shows a promise as a tool for the creation of a natural barrier to the spread of radionuclides, which is what's generated by material that's generating radiation. Okay. It's saying these researchers have been able to isolate microorganisms which can be used to safeguard the surrounding environment from liquid radioactive waste. So they made this discovery while um, conducting microbiological studies of the groundwater at this um, Seversky um, deep radiation burial site in Siberia, um, which reprocesses low-enriched uranium for nuclear fuel. It's pretty crazy. You got to sit back sometimes and look at this and go, what are these people doing for a job where they can just stumble across this stuff? That is nuts. And find this stuff out. It's amazing. Well, it could have been a lot worse what they found. That's very true. That's uh, very, they could have found nearly anything. But the, the research says that the bacteria is capable of converting radionuclide ions, uh, including those found in uranium and plutonium, into sedentary form. So essentially stopping right. the spread of dangerous radiation in the surrounding environment. Whoa. Um, the researchers say that their funding is a first step in the creation of a biochemical barrier for radionuclides for use in deep burial sites containing liquid radioactive waste. And this is huge because everyone is worried about all this nuclear waste that we've stored deep underground Mm. and kind of forgotten about because if there's a massive earthquake or something uh, and it fractures, you could have all this gas escaping and coming Mm. up through the water table and all sorts of horrible things. So it could be a step in Mm. actually really neutralizing this waste once and for all. That's really exciting. You know, otherwise, what, they decay over millions of years, apparently? Yeah, so, the half-life is huge. Sheesh. Yeah. So, exciting step if this works out to be useful. Yeah. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram and say hello? You can find that at fomo.show slash telegram. In this feature, we're chatting about the state of the dApps. So last episode, we covered where the blockchain ecosystem as a whole was. But this week, we thought we'd highlight some of our favorite applications and innovations which are being built on blockchain platforms. Yes, this will give us the opportunity to check in on several projects that we may have covered before or we've been interested in but haven't really talked about Mm. and just see where they're at, see where Mm. things are going. Mm. We talk a lot about the platforms themselves and what people are doing in the enterprise sector. But there were a number of projects that did ICOs last year, a number of projects that sought funding from other methods or just started. 
and they've had nearly a year to develop things mm. and to, to really get some some minimal viable products out. Um, so we thought we'd check in on where some different projects are, some projects that excite us, and just talk about what they're doing. Yeah. So we're going to run through a list of seven or eight projects and uh, just touch on, on, on where they're at. So let's start off with Aragon. Now, with more and more people getting involved in cryptocurrencies and blockchain projects, there's become more of a need for governance, like on-chain governance. So people making decisions and voting and those sorts of things to decide where their project moves. Now, Aragon have been involved in you know, with decentralized autonomous organizations, so creating a system for running uh, decentralized autonomous organizations and Digital jurisdictions. Yeah, it's they, we covered them a while ago. I can't remember which episode, but yeah, you you checked in on them and saw what happened. What, what sort of things have you been seeing? Yeah, so Aragon have kind of gone through several direction shifts <laughs> right. over time. So initially, they were just building their platform as a series of smart contracts mm-hmm. that would plug directly into Ethereum, and right. they eventually went back to the drawing board and said, "No, we actually need to build a whole operating system for this. Wow. We need to have our own real little ecosystem in here." because there's too much to just build into smart Mm, contracts mm. on Ethereum themselves. Um, So that's where they got to. And they've been working on that for the last probably about a year. Mm. And they've up to what they call Aragon OS 3.0. So they've built in a number of different functions into the platform. So what's Aragon OS 3.0 all about? What are the new features? What are they building up on that they had previously? So the first feature is a token manager. And this has right. been with the OS pretty much since the word dot. Um, and what that allows you to do is essentially issue tokens within your decentralized autonomous right, organization right. or company. Hmm. And so it allows you to assign value and have tokenomics within your organization. And it can actually represent your stake within the company. Hmm. So it's not just some share that's written on a piece of paper somewhere. It's a, it's a physical token that represents a certain share if you mm. want it to. And that's tradable. That share's wow. tradable, it's assignable, but it's it's a very elegant way of keeping track of who owns what. Mm. And you know, you may even be able to make smaller organizations that have their mm. own share structures mm. and all sorts of things. Wow. So that's in there as base functionality. Mm-hmm. The second one is, is voting. And uh, what this allows you to do is you can v- have resolutions within the company, for example. Right. You can put things up to a vote. And because it's a blockchain-based system, it's very easy to verify, first of all, who called the vote and who's voted for what. And very easy to verify that the voting's been transparent because everything's obviously built into the blockchain and uh, and there's a lot of traceability and auditability with that. So that's the second function within mm-hmm. the system. The third function that they've built is the finance function. Several things that that allows you to do. The first one is to add employees and make recurring payments of Ethereum, for example, Mm -hmm. and integrate that into a smart contract. And the smart contract will essentially happen behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You don't need to program it. It's all handled by Aragon. It's all deployed on the Ethereum network. Right, right. And it's all auditable by the the DAO as well, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Um, the finance system also gives you a complete transaction record built in so you can see right. who's been spending what, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who approved it, what what amount was spent and where it went to, all within the system. So, so it makes auditability really easy. Exactly. Wow. It all just happens right there within the organization uh, because, again, you've got that um, – interaction between money and business logic mm, happening right mm, there, which we don't have at the moment with any of our other systems. Brilliant. 
uh, but it also lets you manage permissions. Wow. So you can manage permissions about who's able to see what, who's able to spend what. They've got multi-sig wallet functionality. So right. if you've got several direct- directors, you might need five out of the six directors to say yes to a mm-hmm. large transaction mm-hmm. before it can be spent. Um, so it's a quite a robust financial system so far and they're, mm. they're planning on building more into it as well. It also mentions that they've added a, a survey feature. Mm. What's that all about? Yeah, so it's it's their newest feature and it's actually the first one they've deployed on the Ethereum mainnet. So wow. all the other features have been operating on the testnet at yeah. the moment um, just because the testnet's quicker and they're able to build out the uh, the process and test it quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, but the signals essentially allow you to put uh, various proposals or projects out for vetting mm-hmm. by your DAO, by your wow. community. And you can get sentiment on different types of those projects and, and people can signal their support for them. Um, and it's not as – it's not as – it's kind of similar to the voting system, but it's kind of different as well. But it's more like an area where things can be vetted. It's a lot more open, and you can actually open it up to the wider community as wow. well. So, well, that that's really exciting because I mean, you can envision in the future, but them having a complete system where it's almost a project management system yeah. where you go from idea incubation all the way through to building a project. You could issue shares to the company, uh, to the employees based on the ideas that they have or how much work they do and have it all working in one thing. It seems like a really big solution that they're building because these are not, you know, each one of these features is huge in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all borderless. It's all borderless. You don't need to register in any jurisdiction for this stuff. It truly is a decentralized organization. Wow. Um, And it's, it's, it's incredible. And the more I see from what they're building, the more it gives me confidence. The next bit with uh, Aragon is they recently had an audit. So they got the, the whole system audited recently for security reasons. Wow. And uh, we'll put the link in the show notes for the report. But wow. there is a report from that and you can go and read it. And wow. they made several suggestions about what should be done in the future. Cool. Um, but I also saw a great piece for Aragon recently about having a personal DAO. Wow. Um, so this, this piece was crazy. essentially someone saying, well, this is great for corporations, but... I could build one for myself mm. and it could kind of be like my wallet, but with a, my Swiss army wallet mm. essentially with a whole bunch of extra features. So they talked about having like a DAO for your marriage or like wow. your personal DAO having elements yeah, for your yeah. marriage, but there's like 50% voting power on what happens with the wallet um, wow. and all sorts of different things. Like then you can put proposals and wow. you know, which, which is novel, like, and it's a bit yeah, silly, yeah, yeah. But, like, but it's a, it's a great concept. It's a, it's a really interesting concept. Um, and you know, but, but like I looked at that and I thought, well, you could do a similar thing for kids and that might actually work. Yeah. You know, you could say, I'm going to give you a pocket money DAO right. and for, for the money to be spent from that pocket money DAO, yeah. I need to approve it. Oh, you know, nice. so it's just like, and that that'd be free to mm. free to boot up. There'd be the kid could see they could put proposals to you, and you can, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's really um, cool. Like, just I, I just read it yeah. and I thought that's really interesting. Um, they it was a really interesting blog article, um, and just kind of got me thinking about this concept of applying it on a more personal level, mm. um especially once the function, because you've got all the auditability there from all the transactions as well. You could make a smart contract that doesn't allow you to spend over a certain amount Mm. without getting the approval of, I don't know, a fringy trust or something, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're trying to save money. There's just a lot of lot of really interesting use cases for that kind of stuff. That sounds, if you've got um, a lot of kids though, 
and one of them's particularly financially minded, you're going to see pump and dumps in your own family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, that sounds, that's, that sounds super exciting. It's like, this is, I mean, it's, it st- still sounds like crazy early days. It's like someone's talking about Betamax in yeah. the 80s. You know, it could be the thing, it might not, but it's, they're building something which is genuinely useful for any kind of organization. So it mm. could be chat. It's not just companies, it could mm. be charities. It could be you know, like community groups, things like that. Mm. And they want people to be able to build full-fledged jurisdictions in this too. So when these DAOs start doing business with each other, they're going to need to agree on some rules. Mm. And they may make a joint venture DAO or something, for example. Mm. But there's going to be a legal element to it. And it's really interesting going through their documentation and reading about where they think a lot of this stuff may go in the end. Um, But, yeah, look, really interesting project. Um, You can keep up with the blog. They post stuff there regularly. Um, Mm. We'll put the link to the blog in the show notes. But, yeah, keep really keep an eye on Aragon. I'm really looking forward to checking in on it next time as well because I was pleasantly surprised. I hadn't played around with it for quite a while and wow. uh, I came back and I was like, wow, where did all this stuff come from, you know? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool. Aragon. Aragon. Cool name. Everpedia. So this organisation... It's they're dubbed the world's largest encyclopedia on the blockchain. Now, they've launched on EOS now, if I'm not mistaken. Previously, they were just building in their own, just on the web, but now they've actually decided to move it into EOS. So that brings in, in a bunch of exciting possibilities, which we'll be talking about. But yeah, it's if you haven't been on the website, everpedia.com or dot org. Dot, I think. Dot org. Yeah. And it's a beautiful version of Wikipedia. Mm. And if you're editing pages, if you've ever even considered editing a Wikipedia page, don't because it's horrible. Like there's this own language of wiki markdown sort of stuff. Whereas this is sort of more like editing a Word document. If, yeah, um, right. I haven't done it myself, but yeah. I mean, I've seen what it looks like, yeah. I think. And it looks crazy awesome. Yeah. Um, and the fonts are really nice. So, <laughs> side point. But yeah, what's been happening with them? Yeah, so they're essentially, like you said, a decentralized Wikipedia. And one of the original founders of Wikipedia is part of the team. Wow. So this is essentially what he wanted to build. I think Ooh. Wikipedia only has about 2 million articles and that's mm-hmm. where it's pretty much been capped. Mm-hmm. This essentially, they want to make it a far bigger encyclopedia. Wow. Um, so it's been launched and there's a proof of stake model. So they've got a token, I think it's called IQ. Mm-hmm. There's a proof of stake model which essentially incentivizes users to post and get rewarded mm-hmm. and it allows people to vote for changes and upgrades to the network wow. as well. Uh, like I last steam it. Um, that is huge. I mean... That however many contributors there are to Wikipedia, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. And they're not getting paid. They're just doing it for the goodness of their heart. That's right. So it provides a method to remunerate them, provides a method to have people stake things, to, to vote for changes and upgrades. And the awesome thing about Everpedia is it in- integrates with Scatter as well, right. which is kind of like the MetaMask for, for EOS. So if you ever use MetaMask on Ethereum, it's like the web... It, you can have a Ethereum account and you can integrate with web applications. Right. Scatter lets you do the same thing, but with EOS, the EOS blockchain. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is Scatter is like a, a web browser-based wallet for EOS? Exactly. Cool, yeah. cool, yeah. cool. And they're, they're adding more and more features to it as it goes. Wow, and it's, wow. It seems to be working really well. Um, and it will integrate directly with Everpedia when you load it up, which wow. is pretty cool to see. 
Everpedia's integration with the, the blockchain in, in broad terms, uh, it has three models. So you've got the token module, which makes changes to the token balances, addresses. It can transfer tokens around. It runs the smart contracts, which the network runs on. Uh, you've also got the article module, which is used to propose edits which can be included in the database of the encyclopedia articles. And there's also a governance module kind of laid over the top of everything, uh, which can upgrade the network and the smart contracts that run on the blockchain. Wow. Um, So propositions made within the network are within those three modules Mm -hmm. and everything runs on consensus. Wow. So changes aren't made unless there's a consensus of the the parties within the network who who hold the token. So the next project that we wanted to touch on is Brave and Basic Attention Token. So Brave is essentially a browser and it's a privacy first browser. Mm. And the Basic Attention Token is a token that's integrated into the browser natively behind the scenes and it runs on the Ethereum network. Wow. And so we've covered, I think we've covered Brave before, but it's designed to allow advertisers to advertise without compromising user data. Mm. And it's designed to reward users for their attention on advertisers' advertisements. So it's a really different model in that um, advertisers, instead of paying a fee to Google or to Facebook, they'll pay the fee to the network to advertise on the network. Mm. And instead of the fee going to all going to some company Mm -hmm. um, just for the privilege of advertising on their network, a small percentage of that fee will go to Brave, Mm -hmm. but the majority of that will go to the user for watching the ads. So you can essentially get paid to turn on ads and, and they're built, they're trying to build an algorithm that matches you with content that you might actually want mm, to see, mm, but they've built all sorts of anonymity layers and mm. all sorts of things behind the scenes. They've had a few little updates in, yep. the, in the last, over the last year. Tell us a bit about those. Yeah. Well, first of all, the browser itself has gotten a lot better. I right. got to admit when I first started using it, it was quite buggy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually use it as my main browser for a while. Right. Firefox is my main browser now mm-hmm. and I recommend that to everyone, mm-hmm. but Brave is like a, a close second. If it wasn't mm. built on Chrome, um, I'd probably really he- seriously consider using it as my main browser. Right. Um, but uh, so that's the first thing. It's a great browser to use, mm. blocks all sorts of ads and trackers out of the box. And it's, and actually I do use it all the time on my mobile. So my phone browser is always Brave cool. all the time. It's brilliant. Um, blocks all ads. Um, I can plug it into my basic attention tokens if I want. It's awesome. But Brave has also had this scheme come up, which is called Brave Rewards. And that's Mm. essentially what we talked about before, but they've actually implemented where, and from their website, it says Brave Rewards lets you anonymously support the sites you visit. With Brave Rewards, your browser tallies the attention you spend on the sites you visit and divides up a monthly BAT contribution amongst sites based on your attention. Wow. Nobody will know which sites you visit or support, including us here at Brave Software. So it's essentially a a way, like I said, you get paid for your attention if you want, but you can also pay the sites you really like for for what they do as well. So it's a really interesting way to give back to the sites that you're on a lot. Wow. So if you own a website that has a bit of traffic to it, it's saying that, you know, when contributions are equal to about 100 US dollars in BAT, um, explanatory emails will be sent to you that site's registered domain owner um, and your webmaster to begin the verification process. So once it's verified, um, contributions are settled at the end of each month. Yeah, look, and in connection with that, uh, Brave have actually announced that they're partnering with Civic 
as well. And Ooh. Civic is uh, a secure identity verification system built on a blockchain. Um, and they've said that through Civic's technology, publishers who want to verify will be able to use Civic. And mm. what that will mean is that only the publisher can collect their basic attention token rewards every month and it can't be siphoned off by a malicious attacker because the malicious attacker would have to verify themselves with Civic okay. before they can claim their money. Wow. Which is uh, which is, which is, is a really interesting yeah. way to kind of safeguard whatever funds are coming into the website. Wow. Mm. So, look, if you want a, a crypto browser mm. to check out, a browser that natively supports crypto, Brave is well worth having a look at. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of development going on with it. Basic attention token pumped about 60%, I think, the last couple of days. They, they, there's an announcement that uh, they may be listed on Coinbase oh, uh, quite right. soon. So right. there's a lot of press around it at the moment. Mm. Um, but, yeah, no, give, it a, give it a look, mm. see what you think. And uh, I can say personally that it is my secondary browser mm. and I do use it all the time mm. on my phone. So. Wow. You, well, you were the person who first told me about basic attention token, but because mm. I'm an advertising guy um, for my day job, that, you know, I bought bought a bunch of BAT so I could hold on to it for a while and then use it to buy adverts. Mm. So I'm hoping to spend my BAT on ads and, yeah, just just send propaganda out to anyone who wants to see it. So, yeah, lots to look forward to. Did we you? should one day hook up the FOMO Show website. To, we should. As a publisher. Yeah. Yeah. And look, if you want to support the show, that is one way you can probably do it. Yeah. Jump on Brave, get some basic attention token, support the website. So would that be like spending time listening to podcasts on our website or something? Yeah, maybe. I think you can also just contribute. Oh, I think. Right, cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Um, I might, be, might still be based on your attention. Um. Uh, so leading on from that, uh, I also wanted to touch on Civic since mm. we just mentioned it. Um, Civic is a digital identity ledger and mm. it's designed to do away with passwords. Right. So companies can hook into Civic and have users register using their Civic ID instead of having to take on all their own private details themselves. Right. And so when I participated in a crowd sale, I think late last year, mm. I downloaded the app on my phone, I verified with Civic and it was, it, even then it was quite seamless. And uh, that became my digital identity on my phone. Wow. And uh, it... Did, that was my KYC pro process for the crowd sale. Wow. They, Civic essentially handled it and then went back to the crowd sale and said, we verified this person. Mm. Here's the hash. And that's all they needed, which was really cool. So wow. it means companies don't necessarily have to take on details. And it also means users can control their identity and choose what they disclose and don't disclose. And it's all linked in to a, a blockchain-based ledger so you've got surety about once you're verified, you're verified. Mm. Mm. Sounds like a great way of reducing risk. You know, you're not yep. holding all this personal information and, you know, and especially if you're in the EU, that's, you're just checking a checkbox and happy days. Yeah. Really yep. cool. Well, they're doing a lot. I mean, so look, this Civic Libra, for example, which is, uh, which is their latest innovation, yeah. um, it's designed for users to be able to verify their data on their mobile device. But mm. then once they've put that data in, it gets sent to a trusted validator mm. who validates their information, confirms the identity. So that could be a government mm -hmm. institution, mm -hmm. for example, and then sends their verification of that details to the civic blockchain. Right. And then once that's done for KYC, for any company, all the company needs to know is that that, that identity has been confirmed. Mm -hmm. So they don't need all the other da details. Mm -hmm. They just need to know, yep, it's verified by civic 
and they can keep going, uh, which is which is really 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 useful. So they've got this that's that's civic libra, which is being offered to like enterprise level right. businesses and as like a far easier way to do KYC. Cool. And uh, and yeah, that's that's one of the ways that they're they're changing things. There's a number of other things that's up on their blog, but um, but yeah, civic is doing some really interesting innovation around data identity management, which I think is really important for the internet and for the blockchain mm, space mm, in general. Mm, 100%. The next project we're checking in on is Zero X. Now, I believe that they recently got launched onto Coinbase uh, as one of their latest coins. And they're a protocol for decentralized exchanges. So that's exchanges that run autonomously without any sort of human input is that what a decentralized exchange is yeah essentially it just runs directly on the blockchain network without having to be controlled by any party and without having to hold funds so it's essentially like a matching service between two accounts but it's got a layer for buying and selling and demand Mm. and sentiment and all 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 those things that you come to expect with a market that's super cool. Yeah, so it, it plugs directly into your MetaMask, so there's no need to put anything on an actual exchange. You do need to use the Ethereum network, and anything you're trading for must be within the Ethereum network okay. for 0x. Right, right, right. Um, but what it allows you to do is it allows you to have auto-matching across a number of decentralized exchanges. So wow. I've used Radar Relay before, which is one that uses 0x, but some of the orders that were coming on there wouldn't have been from Radar Relay. They would have been from... Bancor or another decentralized right. exchange that may have used 0x. Wow. Um, so it's a really, really interesting protocol because it allows you to draw liquidity from other wow. relayers, wow. You know, liquidity from across the network Jeez. and then match orders across that network. Which makes any decentralized exchange that uses 0x sort of protocol massively expand the capability of their exchange almost. Yeah, because they're not worried about holding funds anymore. Mm. They just draw the liquidity across the network. Wow. And the order matching happens across the network. Wow. So it's really just about choosing what exchange you're most comfortable with if you're going to use 0x, wow. what, what your user experience you like. Wow. Um, and... So it's, it's really elegant. It, it does still allow you to have permission liquidity pools. So mm-hmm. like if some exchange says, we just want a pool, it's just for us, you could still do that mm-hmm. um, and use smart contracts to do that within their protocol. But yeah, there's a number of use cases that they list. What are some of those? Gaming and collectibles is one of them. They right. do have support now for ERC721. So you can you can not only exchange tokens, but you can also tr- exchange like CryptoKitties wow. on this protocol. Wow, wow, wow. And, and, and Ethereum on, which is now like the biggest ex- one that's surpassed kitties, uh, crypto kitties now. Right. Um, so unique assets. Unique assets can wow. be, or unique classes of assets can be exchanged, exchanged across the network. Wow. Uh, it also has prediction markets. So mm. there's, they've got a, that's that's another use case of zero X to be able to predict where prices are going to go mm-hmm. based on what's happening with the sentiment. Um, there's a number of order book applications that can be mm-hmm. could you know could happen with 0x because it is a liquidity layer for the network. Wow. Um, they've even said decentralized loans, you know, maybe I have efficient lending because there's liquid mar- markets and you can buy and resell the loans. So 0x would enable an ecosystem of lenders to s- essentially self-organize and efficiently determine market prices for all the outstanding loans. Wow. Similar to what happens in markets today. And uh, also stable tokens as well. So stable tokens require efficient liquid markets to succeed and they're planning on facilitating 
economic mechanisms that will allow those tokens to remain stable as well. So Nuts. there's a huge amount of use cases that, that, that this brings up. Wow. So can you go into like the radar relay you were talking about a little more? Yeah. So radar relay is essentially a decentralized exchange, which uses a zero X protocol. Okay. And so it was similar to using a real exchange, except I didn't need to register. I just opened up the website. My MetaMask was logged in. um, Or if it isn't, they tell you to log in in, into your MetaMask. So MetaMask is just a wallet for Ethereum? Yeah, MetaMask is your your in-browser wallet for Ethereum. And uh, and so I just logged in. It detected my MetaMask, said, uh, and then my account popped up on the top, and that's 0x and then the address after it. Yeah. And, uh, and then away I went. I could see all the different order books, all the different prices. I had zero X at the time that I was trying to trade for something else because <laughs> um, I'd made a, made a significant amount of money on it because right. um, I've been enthusiastic about this thing for a long time. Right. Um, and, yeah, I just found the, the token that I wanted to trade for. I actually traded for some Ethereum as well. Right. And I put it in an order and about... Probably 30 minutes later, my order was filled. Wow. I didn't need to register for anything. I didn't know I wasn't drawing from any pools of currency held by a centralized entity. Mm-hmm. It was all user to user or wow. several users. So somewhere out there in the ether, some several other users put sell orders on and I put a buy order on and 0x through this radar relay decentralized exchange matched my orders and fulfilled them. Wow which was just amazing. I was so blown away that there was no third party involved at all. It That's was just crazy. Decentralized exchange. So yeah, like I said, it, it's, it was really interesting. Um, and practically it was a little slow, but it actually works. That's nuts. Wasn't there a Ethereum based trading card game that was using zero X to trade collectibles and stuff. Yeah, so Gods Unchained, it's called. They recently sold 1 million cards, which all have virtual, like, blockchain personality. Wow. They're building their player marketplace on uh, on their version 2 of their software yeah. on 0x. Wow. So, they want you to be able to trade with their cards, their virtual cards, on whatever decentralized exchange you want to trade it on and trade it between Ethereum accounts. Wow. So they're building it all within 0x, which is which is really really cool. Crazy. Um and 0x in general envision themselves as a way for peer-to-peer things in the real world to give themselves a blockchain facelift. Right. So for an example of that apart from God's Unchanged, Block.Party, which is a recent 10 million dollar raise of capital as a project. Right. They're going to be adapting Settlers of Catan onto a blockchain-based console wow. and several of the game elements are going to be having some kind of blockchain personality uh, where, you know, it's a real-world device that's using it, but there'll be some blockchain elements to that. That's crazy because so Settlers of Catan is like a, a big board game that's yeah. really popular and yeah. you sort of yeah. build islands and collect, you know, get materials and build things and roads and cut and stuff and move around. And And there's a lot of talk about putting digital assets and real world assets on a blockchain system like Ethereum because it can essentially be like a registry of ownership. Mm. And you just need to put the hash somewhere on the real asset to which corresponds to the the token to then be able to trade the ownership of that that asset. And finally, gamers are getting their own financial ecosystem, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah, and it's really interesting that gaming leads the way on so much yeah. of this as well, you know, because you can you can see that if they're doing it with games, 
it won't be too long before they're able to do it with other things. Mm. Um, generally, the community, these innovations start in gaming and then they kind of branch out to other things. So, If that happened when I was a kid, that would have been so much better because the amount of time I wasted gaming when I could have been profiting yeah. from my RuneScape. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, look, if you want more information on Zero X, really interesting uh, stuff they're doing, you can check out their blog. We'll put the link to that in the show notes mm. and watch this space. Mm. Next project we're checking in on is Decentraland. Now, it's a decentralized virtual world. And they a while ago, they were sort of selling all this land. Um, I think their crowd sale or their token sale or whatever it was, was just selling the land that was on that blockchain. It was crazy. So yeah. it's this it's crazy idea of a virtual world, not unlike Second Life. Mm. I believe the founder, the founders have had something to do with yeah, that or yeah, there's some sort of connection. They've been involved somehow. Yeah. And, you know, you can have assets which have a blockchain personality within the ecosystem. There are two currencies with us. So there's land and there's mana. So mm. mana is spendable, um, like your everyday currency, and land is just a share of the land in this Genesis City that they run. Mm. What's been going on with this Decentraland project in the last in the last year? And because we talked about it, and their website looked really cool at the time. It was playing this video of some three D crazy cool stuff, and it was pink and awesome. What's been going on there? A lot. There was so many updates for this, and so many new partnerships. It seems like most of the games that are building on Ethereum are wanting to have some kind of element on Decentraland. It seems to almost like it's going to be the ecosystem to, to bind everything together, bind all these games together. So first thing to say is they've got a Decentraland marketplace. And that's essentially a marketplace that hooks into your account. I believe it uses 0x as well, actually. And, right. and we'll put the link to that in the show notes. But that's where you can buy all the land in this city. Wow, right. So it lets you buy and sell land. And the first big thing they've done is they've built this concept of estates. So it used to be that you could only buy one parcel of land at a time. And they've said, okay, well, now we've established that. Let's allow people to parcel their land up and make it actual estates wow. and uh, they'll be able to trade these estates they'll be able to, if they buy them they'll be able to dissolve them or alter them so subdivide them yeah. with any of the council laws that we have currently you know yeah. say you can't subdivide it's becoming a more and more robust marketplace for land in the in the ecosystem but also beginning with other things as well this so is they're envisioning crazy. this thing as being a, a, a big marketplace for the whole ecosystem that's nuts yeah that's absolutely nuts yes yeah, so you can go in right now i mean i've got some matter i still haven't spent i haven't bought any land myself i'm just kind of waiting for the opportune moment to swoop in the and right parcel of land to buy that's right you know i'm just <laughs> walking down the streets and checking things out no but uh <laughs> um which you will be able to do soon i think i think you can actually do a fair bit of that now They've also got this concept of mortgages, which really intrigued me. They're actually building functionality in and they're almost there to be able to get a mortgage over a land. So let's say you're a high roller, you've got a bunch of mana, you've got a bunch yeah. of money in uh, in the ecosystem. Yeah. And there's also someone that wants to build, let's say, a arena for their new game. Yeah. And they're going to need a number of pieces of land to do that or a big estate. Yeah. Well, you could say you don't have the money to do that but I've got a bunch of money, so I can lend you that money as long as I get an entitlement to that land if you don't pay me. Mm. And you can build that as a smart contract. So it can be quite wow. a simple smart contract yeah. within the ecosystem to say, if I give you 2 million mana, you pay me X amount of mana mm -hmm, per mm -hmm, month, mm -hmm. I'll fill mortgage, 
And if you default two times in a row, done, I take your property and just like what happens with a bank. Wow. And you might be able to get mortgage insurance on that. So that's where this whole dividing up of estates back into little parcels of land comes in really useful. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And so it makes, it it will mean that there will probably begin to be real estate agents in this and, you know, maybe like virtual lawyers, I don't know. But it's a really interesting because it's kind of like, it's almost a precursor for real life. Like if we, if we get housing on a blockchain, it would be quite simple then for, for a bank to say, well, if I'm going to lend you this money, we're going to make a smart contract. Mm. And that's going to have the terms of the agreement in that. And if you default three times in a row, it all comes back to mm. me. And mm. I know and you know that that's what's going to happen. Mm. You wonder how long it's going to be until they actually break out of the virtual world and just turn the whole planet into a real decentralized world where all these passes are land. It's just, it's, it's just, that's crazy. But yeah. I mean, it's, that's insanely powerful what they're doing. Like mm. it's, it's really simple on the face of things, but this is an actual 3d virtual world that's there. And it's built for gaming. You know I mean? It's, 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 it's a game world, but we're starting to see these real world concepts emerge. And, uh, and and and, that, and they're doing a similar thing with these partnerships with these these games. Yeah. So there's a number of games developing on Ethereum, and they're all looking to partner with Decentraland. And if you go on their blog page, you will just see a huge amount of partnership announcements. So a couple that caught my eye. Yeah. One was Crypto Cars, and it's just just this racing crypto game where you can buy different smart assets, which essentially represent cars. Yeah. You can buy entitlements to different tires and wheels and all sorts of things, you know, but they've already come out and said, we want to put a racetrack in Decentraland where people can race their cars from crypto cars in Decentraland. Wow. That's wild. Because, because it's all the same account. It's all the same Ethereum account. Hmm. So it's quite easy for you to come into another app and, as long as the functionality is there, the app can say, oh, look, you have these cars. Well, here's this racetrack mm. and you've got an entitlement to these seven seven cars and you can race in our game as well. Ethereum um, needs to scale so fast. It does. It, it really does because there's so much innovation Sheesh. and it's not fair that it's not yeah. better. You know, it's not – all these guys are doing amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, what, what other partnerships have they, have they had? So there's another one called Crypto Beasties and they're, they've essentially said that it's going to be a quest RPG style game. Right. But they want to host questing – people to be able to host questing areas in Decentraland. Right. So you could jump out of Crypto Beasties, come into Decentraland, quest in people's backyard yeah. and earn – and, and do quests, kill beasts, whatever. And then those items that you earn, the experience you earn, would automatically be credited to your Ethereum account, which would mean that when you go back into the Crypto, crypto Beasties game, that's all there for you. Wow. And it may be that you can only earn certain items in the Decentraland mm. questing areas. Um, so you're seeing all this cross-pollination because mm. you've got this level playing mm. field mm. where everyone can have a sh- have almost like a shared account. Mm. Um, which is just so interesting. If you told your grandparents about this 10 years ago, they would have said you're bonkers. They'd still yeah. say you're bonkers. Yeah. We, it still is bonkers, yeah. But it's but. happening. You know, I mean, we featured Hashrush a few weeks ago and they were talking about a lot of this stuff. Mm. Um, and there's a number of others. There's a number. If you go on their blog, you'll see the amount of projects that they're trying to get integrated into this. And it's, wow. it's unreal. So. <laughs> So Decentraland, check it out. We'll put the link in the show notes. We'll put a link to a couple of those projects as well. Um, but 
yeah, definitely one to watch and worth just going and having a look at as well. You can actually go in and you can wander around in uh, in parts of the land. I'm still just as excited as the first time I heard it. Probably more <laughs> excited, but I still haven't bought any. <laughs> I want to, but I don't because it's like, is that land even worth anything? That's right. That's right. But it's still exciting. Yeah. Next project we're checking in on is Cointext. So this allows you to send crypto um, to someone else with just a text message. You've tried this out, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I tried it here in Australia. I think I sent it to one of our co-workers back in the day. Oh, yeah. I got money from the faucet and texted him. Mm-hmm. I texted a certain amount of Bitcoin cash to his phone. Wow. And he got a text like 10 seconds later saying, you've received 20 cents worth of crypto. Wow. You can check your balance by texting balance to this number. You mm. can check, get your password by texting X, you know, to this number and et cetera, et cetera. So, that's essentially all it is. It's just a, it's it's essentially a phone layer for the blockchain. Wow. So you can get money into your account, your wallet account, and then you're able to send that money to other people using just their phone number. And it's just, so it's just tied to your mobile phone number. Just tied to your phone, mobile phone number. Fantastic. Yeah, which is just amazing. And yeah. that's that's cool for us here, but in a developing nation where wow. they don't have smartphones, Sheesh. complete game changer. Didn't even think of that. Not most of them have bank accounts. Um it's very hard for them to get access to a system of exchange that works well. Mm-hmm. And their goal for Cointex, I mean, they're trialing it in mainly more affluent countries mm-hmm. just to get the infrastructure right. But their goal is to take it into the developing world. Wow. So they've been adding more countries and features. Um, what Have you heard much about those countries? Yes, there's about 30 countries in all they've added to. A lot wow. in Europe, as works here in Australia. There's a couple in Africa, I think. Wow. There might be a couple in South America now too. Um, but they always seem to be adding more and more countries. And uh, you can even, they've got some cool new features as well. Um, you can even pay your BitPay invoices over SMS now. Wow. Which is really interesting. So, uh, so yeah, Joe's got the map up right now. And it looks like it's the, actually the majority of South America, uh, the majority of Europe, America, Australia, uh, Hong Kong, yeah, and uh, South Africa as well, I think, and wow. a couple of areas in the Middle East. That's gone up from like, I think there was like seven or eight in the initial beta test. And that was created by Vin Armani, who's like a, he recently finished his Vin Armani show, didn't he? Which yeah, Which is a he big did. YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he's kind of focusing on this full time now and several other things. But yeah, so he he, um, he said that he stopped developing for Bitcoin quite a while ago because it just was too slow. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he ha- still had a lot of the code for this project. And then when Bitcoin Cash came along, suddenly he could settle transactions a lot quicker and the code worked again. So he essentially just ported the code over to the cash chain and they've built on top of that. Wow. Um, And it seems to be doing really well. So yeah, definitely one to watch. And look, I'd recommend just going to the website, um, getting it onto your phone. I think there's a faucet that runs, which sends you about 50 cents worth and you can get it texted to your phone and, uh, and then you can text a couple of your friends and just surprise them, you know, send a text to them and, and uh, they'll get a text saying, hey, you've received X amount of money and that could be the conversation starter you need to get them into crypto. Insane. That mm. sounds awesome. So that's cointext.io. So last thing I wanted to touch on, uh, we, we covered EOS a fair bit leading up to launch and at launch. We haven't checked in on it too much since. And we did mention one of the projects earlier on Mm. uh, that's running on EOS Everpedia. Mm. Um, But we just want to touch on the gambling apps as well. So why is that a big deal? 
up until the launch of EOS, there were several people that tried to do gambling apps. Mm -hmm. And that was mainly on Ethereum. Right. And what the people that were developing these gambling apps found was that the Ethereum network was just not fast enough to handle the high volume of transactions needed for gambling. Mm. Because gambling operates a lot on changing data, odds that are current to like the second, and games that happen very, very quickly. Right. So and there's no room for error. Here. No room for error. You can't be waiting 10 minutes for something to settle, a transaction to settle, because it's just not going to happen. Mm. And so when EOS came along and proved that they had a platform which could handle thousands of transactions a second mm -hmm. and run smart contracts, all the gambling apps said, well, that's our platform. That's the only one around that actually does what we need it to do, uh, which is quite undisputable. I mean, you can't argue that there's any other platform that has the amount of transactions and has the smart contract mm -hmm. capability that EOS has. So that they developed a whole bunch of gambling apps. And if you go on the... There's a like a, a DAP monitor or something for EOS. You can see that like the top 15 most transactions on the the network are from all these gambling apps, and some of them are, there's a lot of transactions going on. But that hasn't come without a cost. And in the news recently, there's been several of these gambling apps that have been hacked. And the problem for that isn't with the platform itself, but with the code of the gambling app. It's the same with Ethereum. When they say Ethereum's been hacked or Bitcoin's been hacked. It's not the protocol that's been hacked, it's the people building dApps on top. And what these a lot of these gambling apps have found is that their smart contracts have not been robust enough wow. and secure enough in their own Eesh. development to be able to handle the target that they're creating <laughs> by having all this money going on. Because if you're running a lottery or something, for example, mm -hmm. if you can find a way to fill the lottery and get all the award coming to you, it can be very, very lucrative. Mm -hmm. um, and especially if you can siphon off money or something. Mm -hmm. But it's just been really interesting to watch that all these gambling apps have risen. There has been some problems, but it's, it's a big endorsement of the platform itself that they've finally found a platform where they can run these kind of apps and have the smart contracts executing near instantly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what's your summary of you know, all of these you know, dApps that we've gone through? It's super exciting stuff. I mean, from what I've been hearing here, I mean, Cointex, they're just, it's a really simple application, just sending Bitcoin cash via text message. But they've just, they've just been growing and spreading to more countries. I mean, you've had Decentraland, which is just wild what they're doing there. It's, there are some really exciting things. Everpedia as well. I mean, I, I really want to check that out. But what's your summary? How are you feeling about this whole thing? Yeah, look, it's really encouraging. It's really encouraging to see what's going on. It's encouraging to see there's so much development going on. It's encouragement to see that there are real applications for this mm, on public networks mm, beginning to emerge mm. that aren't just sending money to each other. And look, I think I think the platforms probably are still where a lot of the action is because the platforms are still being sorted out themselves. I mean, Ethereum is looking at a hard fork in, uh, I think, January, a big upgrade right. in right. January, sorry. Um, and they're hoping to implement a number of the things that they've been trying to implement for a long time, but that keeps getting pushed back. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking longer and longer. Um, but I think once a lot of these platforms have fleshed out their issues once all these apps have are, are kind of out of the beta stage user uptake is going to continue to increase and we might see a lot more of these applications reach fruition might see a lot more pop up um, there's also a lot being done in the enterprise scene we're not seeing as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. and i think we're seeing a real division between the public networks and the private networks now mm -hmm. where they're going in very different directions and serving very different types of markets and use cases um, but 
Yeah, look, I, I, it's it's. I think overall it's very positive. And look, I mean, we could only cover a fraction of the mm. daps mm. that are actually out there. Mm. So if we didn't cover your favourite, let us know and we'll try and feature it at a future yeah, date. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but and and look, if if there are things we didn't cover, that's really encouraging as well because it means there's more out there that are doing awesome so, things. So many things going on as well. So yeah, if you've been listening, do ping stuff in because yep. we'd love to see it from you. So in this week's privacy and security segment, we're going to talk about the browser. The browser. The browser. It's time we talked about the browser. Yeah, it is time we had a chat about the 10, 10 top things this summer about the browser. And you'd never guess what happened next. <laughs> if you want to start taking more steps to secure your privacy, it needs to start at the browser. You know, maybe after your operating system change, you know, that could be the first first big one. But the next one is talking about the browser. Let's get into the basics of this. So the first thing you need to do is stop using Chrome right now. Oh, easy. Joe, stop using Chrome. Yeah. Why why would you say that? (laughs) So Google makes most of their money from your data and Chrome is just really like one big vacuum for all your data. They're literally recording everything you do. Like they're not sitting there at their terminals watching everything you do, Mm -hmm. but all their machine learning algorithms, uh, all their data systems are recording everything you do on that browser. Mm. And they may say that they're not, but they are. Mm. And it's because the only way they make money, Google, first and foremost, are an advertising company. Mm-hmm. They make their money off your data. Mm-hmm. And Chrome is, after the search engine, and maybe more so now, the biggest way that mm-hmm. they collect all your data. If Google is spying on everything you do through the Chrome browser, who else should you use? My first choice is always Firefox. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from the fact it runs better than Chrome now, they've made some really big improvements. Mm-hmm. It's made by Mozilla, who have a track record of promoting an open internet. Uh, they promote privacy and they're also a not-for-profit. So they're not out to profit off your data. Right. Uh, it means they need, don't need to make money off your data like mm-hmm. Google does. Um, and look, the more and more you read up on the Mozilla Foundation and what they do, the more and more... It, I'm particularly comfortable in using the browser. And there've been a number of tests that have been done on the browser and it's that there really isn't much, if anything at all, that gets sent back to Mozilla mm-hmm. from using Firefox. Are there any uh, other options? Yeah, look, I think Brave, which we talked about earlier, is a good secondary browser, mm-hmm. uh, but it is based on Chromium, which is what Chrome is based mm-hmm. on. So it's also developed by Google. And I remember listening to an interview a little while ago with one of the people from Brave and they said that they can't guarantee that they've taken all the backdoors out of the Chromium source code hmm. to stop data going back to Google. So if I'm on Firefox, um, if I if I shift over to Firefox, what should I do? Shifting over to Firefox is great, but there are a several what they call extensions that you probably hmm. want to install as well. And uh, the, the basic extensions I tell you to install uh, HTTPS everywhere, yep. which will force a secure web page mm-hmm. wherever it possibly can mm-hmm. for you to visit. Uh, I'd also recommend getting uBlock Origin, mm-hmm. which is an ad blocker and it'll block a number of other trackers mm-hmm. and different things and you can set the settings. And there's also an app called Privacy Badger. Mm. And Privacy is very, Badger is very good because it will show you on a website what's trying to track you and what's not mm. and it'll give you really granular control over whether you let something track you or whether mm. whether you don't. And with those three extensions, you're covering yourself from almost every sort of tracking cookie or you know, tracking website that's there. 
Yeah. And it's ensuring your security. Yeah, almost. I mean, there's another one called NoScript, mm-hmm. which if you want to get really hardcore, yeah, yeah. you can use. Um, I don't. I know I probably should, but I just don't. It just it breaks my too many of the web pages that I visit. Mm. Uh, but that's another one to look at. And then it'll also start looking at maybe not having your browser pop up with all your previous tabs that you always open because that's kind of like your digital footprint. Um, and if, someone, if you're worried about someone... Um, identifying your computer that or identifying who you are and building a profile on you that's one of the biggest ways that people are able to do that through what sites you regularly visit and it's quite easy because you know the more sites you visit the more variables there are the more easy it is for them to find a unique set of sites that someone may visit and identify you so um, they're just little things that that help. Uh, there is a do not track button on most web browsers. It doesn't really do much uh, unless you go to a site that honors it. Mm-hmm. But most sites mm-hmm. don't really honor it. Yeah. But it can't help to can't hurt turning it on. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those um, extensions, so that was HTTPS everywhere, Privacy Badger, and UBlock Origin. Are they available on Chrome if I absolutely don't want to move from Chrome? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so they're also in the Chrome Store. I'm pretty sure they're on the Chrome Store. Um, so if you don't want to move from Chrome, I'd recommend getting that. I'd also recommend getting a password manager that isn't the Google Password Manager just to take your passwords out of there. Password managers. Um, what are some password managers you'd recommend right off the bat? Um, so two I'd recommend is KeyPassXE, mm-hmm. which is like a self-hosted one, mm-hmm. and LastPass if you want something that's a bit more convenient. Mm. Uh, LastPass is the one that I use simply because I've been using it for years. It integrates with everything, and I'm willing to trade a little bit of the – peace of mind in hosting something completely by myself for the convenience that I know that mm. I can log into it from anywhere at all. Mm. Um, but two-factor it, two-factor everything. Yeah, so look, I mean, it's quite simple. It's it's uh, something that's kind of easy to do. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that people, you should definitely look into if you're wanting to get a little bit more pri- private or secure. Mm-hmm. Um, I can vouch for Firefox. I use it all the time. It's very quick. Mm. Pretty much everything runs on it. Uh, you will not miss Chrome, I don't think personally anyway, if you swap to it. That's awesome. Cool. Cool. So quit Chrome, definitely quit Internet Explorer. What were you thinking? Oh, yeah. Let's all move to Edge. <laughs> <laughs> Faster browser for Windows, for Windows 10. <laughs> if you know someone who might enjoy this, please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The FOMO Show. That's it for us here at The FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. At FOMO.show slash YouTube. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Lost his all his crypto in a boating accident. No, it was it was so unfortunate. Yeah, just don't take your crypto on a boat. Yeah.
and dangle it off the edge of your boat. Seriously. And drop it. You're, just ask, you're asking for trouble, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. Look, if you really want to support us, just send us some Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or Ripple. You can send Joe Ripple. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> I hope you cut that out, Joe. Cut it out, sir. Cut, cut it, it out. out. Cut it out, boy. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> <laughs>